Beginning of part two, Cheryl Hunt. Okay, Cheryl, carry on. I think we were talking about burying like emotion down. So right. you know, when you, when I got hired 18 years ago, mental health wasn't talked about. Uh, still so much stigma wrapped up in that, that I learned fairly quickly that you bury it down as deep as you can. You keep moving, go to the next call. And I've always been a very compassionate, empathetic person. And, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a woman. I tend to cry sometimes. But I knew that in that environment, I couldn't do that. I couldn't show that side. So I did what everybody else did. And I, I buried it down as deep as I could and tried to pretend that nothing was happening. And I think part of it, I was also, I am um, about 2015, I think we, in Ottawa, we brought mental health first aid into our programming. And I was trained as one of the instructors, as well as I was on the peer support team. So I'd taken a few courses and we started to teach this program. And um, I joke because it was kind of like standing in front of a firing squad. The first time I taught it, people were not happy. They throw he they stood up individually and blasted me out for having to take this program and we need more fire and less of this floofy stuff and no one wanted to open. And I was like, guys, I'm just, I'm just the messenger here. I'm just trying to deliver a message. This is coming from on high. This is coming up from way higher than all of us. And it's something we need to talk about. And it wasn't really widely accepted, but I I found that over the next few months as we kind of delivered it and people were more open to it, um, people were more willing to talk and share. And I mean, nothing crazy open or um, revealing about themselves, but the conversation had started. So at that point in 2015, um, I knew that it was starting to change. The stigma was starting to change. Um, And as I could teach mental health first aid, I could teach, um, I could listen as a peer support person. I could ask somebody quite openly, are you considering harming yourself? Are you considering suicide? But when it came to my own stuff, um, self-stigma had it locked down way deep inside of me. And I'm not sure, you know, there's many reasons that could have been. And one of them could be because, you know, as a peer support counselor, as a um, mental health first aid instructor, I had this false belief that I had to be this pillar of strength. And how could I show cracks in my armor and still be there for other people? So I really, really, I've known for years, but it wasn't until I really started to tailspin and go into crisis that, I had to admit it or... And what do you mean by tailspin? Um, I was doing okay. Um, there was a particularly... Around that time as well, when I was teaching mental health first aid, there was a particularly particularly um, troubling harassment uh, thing I was going through. And I'm not... I, I really don't like this word, so pardon me when I say it, but... The word uh, cunt was being written on my tags, was being written in the logbook, was being written, scratched into my gear. And this was happening over uh, the course of a few years, uh, a few months, sorry. And every time it happened, it just kind of cracked me a little bit more. And uh, I didn't know who it was. I didn't know if it was someone from my shift, someone from a different shift. It just kept following me. And I think one of the last draws was when I saw it kind of scratched into my helmet. And I really started to fear for my safety because I'm supposed to trust these people and go into burning buildings and I didn't know. And how can you trust? How can I trust? This guy, obviously. Right, and I have no idea who it was, yeah. so am I safe? And that's, that's. I was already beating myself up. I was already in a bad place. I already really, really didn't like myself and at that point. And this is how far in your career? This, uh, this was probably about 2015, 2016, yeah. and around there. So pretty late into my career. Yeah. Like I don't feel like I had anything to prove at that point. Yeah. But obviously, someone is really, really not liking me. I don't think you, you say that. 
so after a few times of this happening, um, it escalated. It, um, the district chiefs came out and said, listen, you can't do this. you got to stop. It's not appreciated. She doesn't like it. And then it would happen again, and then it would happen again, and then the union got involved. And finally, it was pulled into our, at the time, it was our platoon chief. And we had a closed door meeting, and I told him what had happened and uh, that I was really, really upset about it. And um, what he said was, well, look at your name. So on my tag, it says C. Hunt. He said, they're probably just playing with you. And I said, well, chief, with all due respect, yeah. uh, I, don't, I don't find this funny. Yeah. Like, I, I find it really, really disturbing, and yeah. it's really, really hurting me. And he said, well, all I can suggest is that you go and get yourself some therapy and mentally get stronger so that when this happens again, and it's the fire service, it will happen again, that you're going to be stronger to deal with it. So Enter where- sanctuary trauma at that point, right? <laughs> so I really, at that point, locked everything further down because when you're going to the people that are supposed to protect you and help exactly. you, and you're not getting that, I did get transferred at that point just to well, keep me safe. Problem. Let's move the problem. Yeah, and I'm and in, luckily, in hindsight, now looking back, it was the best thing that could happen because I think partially my crew at that time did help save my life for yeah. sure, and uh, uh, I am grateful for how it all played out, but. But still, yeah, your name play or not, because as soon as I saw your 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 name, that was yep. one of the first things that came into my mind as well. Yeah, um, not not because I have any kind of uh, issues with you, but automatically that, that yeah. spelling came in. So when you started to tell that story, that's why exactly. I, but I wasn't thinking this is funny. Yeah, this is so you you had no command support. Not at that time. No, the captain wasn't there for you. Well, they tried. That's the thing, but nobody know knew who it was that was doing it, and all they could do is you know say stop. But when it didn't stop, and you didn't have a name to go with it, it's kind of like, well, we don't know what to do. So let's just move you, so you're safer and you feel better. And that's really all we could do at the time. But doesn't it follow you? Uh, well, it it followed me for sure. And then um, there's only a few actually. A month and a half ago, I, I was looking at one of the posters, our peer support posters on the wall, and someone had taken a pin and poked my eyes out on it too. So, you know, someone, I know someone doesn't like me, and I'd, I would rather them come up to me and say, hey, listen, I don't, I don't like you. Yeah. I don't want to work with you. And then we could avoid each other. But this whole secrecy thing of, it really, it kind of got to me. It's very threatening. Yeah. And that's, I think, where uh, kind of the PTSD started to really set in for me. Yeah. Um, which, which when that was, was all happening. Up, which was going to be... Which was bringing me around to that yeah. question as well. As I said, we could dance around with this one. Yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> Let's dance. Yes. Um, <laughs> I like dancing. <laughs> yeah. I'm a klutz. <laughs> I, can't, <laughs> I can't dance with it. Um, so you were diagnosed with uh, uh, with PTSD and severe depression? Uh, major depressive disorder, anxiety, um, PTSD with suicidal tendency, yes. Suicidal tendency. Yeah. Let's focus on that. Oh, good. <laughs> 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 we a, might as well go down that rabbit hole, right? right? Yeah, 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 yeah. What brought on this suicidal ideation? What, what, what was happening in your life at that? Well, I guess a shitload of stuff was happening in your life. Yeah. Why were you thinking of suicide? What triggered that? I think it kind of goes back. Um, if I can kind of go back to towards the beginning of, of my career, my relationship with suicide has changed dramatically over the years, over my career. Career. I remember responding to my first suicide. I was about three months in, three, four months in. 
And uh, I, I remember it almost like it happened yesterday because I think it was also my first time actually dealing with death, knowing that I was going to have to use uh, the defibrillator and, and do CPR and really work on somebody. So we get called to um, a potential suicide. And as we pull up, I notice that there's this woman that's on the grass and she is so distraught. She is crying and screaming and pointing at the garage and she's visibly pregnant, like I'd say about eight months, eight months pregnant at the time. And as I'm got all the gear and I'm walking up the driveway, I remember looking at her because again, that compassion and that need to kind of interact with people, it, I can't, that's part of what I do. I just have that connection. And I remember looking at her and she's like, just, uh, she's like, save him and screaming and crying. So then we, we get up there and the police had just cut him down and he had hung himself and we worked on him for a long time. And I remember as we worked on him and I could hear his his wife screaming who found him in the background. I was so angry at this man. Like I was, how selfish do you have to be? I was, I I just wanted to punch him in the face versus try and bring him back. And I was so angry. And the only reason I wanted to bring him back is for his wife who was pregnant. And I should also mention that was Father's Day on this day. So all these things are really, really having an impact at this point. And we worked on him probably close to an hour. And just the visual of... um, his face and uh, the the screaming of his wife in the background and, you know, looking around his garage and the Cedar Strip canoe and the bikes and, you know, just on the outside, it looked like they had such a perfect life together. Yeah. And now it's Father's Day and your wife is eight months pregnant. And, and you're hanging yourself. Oh, uh, right. So I've noticed that over the years too, my languaging has changed. So when, when, I, when I looked at that man, yes, I would have said he committed suicide. Because when I think of the word commit, and I learned this through mental health first aid, you think of a crime. And for me, he, he did, he made a crime. Like he killed himself and I was so angry. And I think the guys could see that because as we were coming back to the truck, I remember, um, nothing else we could do. He obviously committed suicide and was successful. His wife looked, looked at me and I looked at her and then she just lost it. And I, and I I didn't even know what to do. It's still something I carry with me today. And I remember my captain turned to me and said, you okay, kid? I said, no, I'm not. I am so angry. And then I kind of spewed out my anger a bit. And I remember, I will never forget this. My crew member turned to me and said, but Cheryl, how do you know it was his kid? And I stopped and it didn't make it better. But boy, I did realize that day that judgment cannot come into my job. I can't judge a person for what they did. And I've really tried to carry that. So after that suicide, fast forward several years, we had several suicides in between, obviously, but there's another one that was really impactful. And this is where it really started to change for me. I knew um, my mental health was kind of faltering a bit. And then uh, um, we had a jumper and he was HIV positive. And I remember as we were approaching him, he was lying on the ground and he had his arms crossed over his chest and his legs crossed and he looked so peaceful. He just fell 10 stories to the ground and there was nothing we could do to bring him back. There was really nothing left of him. Um, but to me, he looked so peaceful and I, I just thought, how much pain did you have to come through? And finally you found peace. And I found peace in that moment for him for whatever reason, which, so then when I look at the languaging behind that, I'd say that he completed suicide Mm -hmm. and not so much committed it. He completed it at that point. So this is the language I choose to use today when someone does complete suicide. Fast forward even um, more, and this is one of the more recent ones. This was be, be my last suicide that I went to, and I know my partner is affected by this one as well. Um, and this is when I'd been contemplating suicide myself and more um, vividly kind of toying with plans and, and ideas. And uh, we went to a suicide. 
um, uh, it was actually came in as a, a female drowning in the water. We were part of the water rescue team. And so we went out and uh, we had pulled her back in and we couldn't revive her. And the daughter was screaming and, and this mother chose to complete suicide in front of her daughter. How old is their daughter? Uh, they were adults. So her mom, mother was older. I think her daughter was about um, probably 20s, somewhere in there. Not that it would make it much easier. But Not that it makes it easier, but... Um, I guess they'd had an argument and her mom just kind of drowned herself in front of her daughter. And at that point, then that, that really bothered me. And at that point, um, I think that call is maybe one of the reasons why I'm still here because that was part of the problem of my plan is I didn't know how to make it that my children, my husband, my family, my friends weren't the ones to find me that, um, I could just kind of escape without having them, deal with the stuff that I've seen that suicide and all the emotion that it's brought to me over the years yeah. and um, loved ones finding their loved ones. And I just couldn't have that. So what I was had the plan, I didn't have the, uh, the timing. <laughs> and that really solidified it for me that I really have to work as, as crazy as this is going to sound harder to find a better plan because that can't, that can't happen. I could never ever do that to my family. Yeah. But I also wasn't thinking that suicide would be, um, harming my family because I really truly believed at that time that everybody would be better with, off without me. What sort of pulled you out of that tide? What that riptide sucked, sucked into? Was it strictly you couldn't, you couldn't do that to your family or was there? No, there was, there was several steps. I could really, really feel myself slipping, um, slipping away into darkness. It was all consuming. Um, it was actually uh, after that, it was... Uh, about two years ago, I guess, there was one final comment. It was made by a captain at the beginning of one shift who was visibly upset, um, verbally upset with the fact that he had to work with me, but only myself, another woman that day. And he made it very, very clear that he was not happy about that. And I remember driving home and that was the first time I thought, I'm just, I'm going to speed up and I'm going to drive into that bridge because I don't want to be here anymore. I can't. But then I kept putting my uniform back on. I was, I cry so much and I just, I felt numb. I felt broken. Was the uniform still bringing you a source of pride? None, none. Like it just, for me, it was a way to get into the station and I was actually looking for someone to give me one last reason. I truly, truly was, which is the blessing of my crew is they just never gave me that reason. They always respected me so much. But, um, so that's when it really started to, to hit me. And I I knew that I was also acting safety officer. And part of what we do is we process the WSIB reports. And so I thought, well, um, I processed one that came across my desk and it was a member that was claiming PTSD, but with no lost time. And for me, that was like a huge light bulb went on a safety net that I, I knew what I was dealing with. I knew I needed to have a diagnosis. I hadn't even been honest with my therapist about how I'd been feeling, talking about floofy stuff and, you know, day-to-day stuff, but nothing. Pardon me? What about with your family? Like Sean? Oh, no, absolutely not. Nobody knew. Was he noticing that? You weren't yourself. I I think so. He, um, uh, yeah. I mean, how do you not notice that I'm not myself? I just there was no joy in my life. I couldn't find joy anymore, and it was really bothering me. And I was looking for a way to, um, you know, put myself into pictures and make sure I was them around because I was really planning on not being there and yeah. not thinking clearly. And it really kills me to say that right now because I look back a year now and think, oh my gosh, I'm so blessed to still be here and and I have so much to live for. And I I, I want everybody to know that for sure. But um, as far as back to where I really knew that there was, there was problems, um, after that comment and uh, I was processing the WSAB claim, I thought, I got to do this. And so that's when I went and I got a diagnosis. And then I was able to claim 
um, through WSIB PTSD. And I remember bringing my supervisor in at the time because I needed a signature. I wanted this confidential. Like I didn't want anybody to know, but I had to get his signature. And so he came in and he looked at it and he goes, he shook his head and he said, no, shut the door, sat down. He said, I'm not signing that. And I'm not going to sign it until you can tell me why harassment bullying is part of this claim. Because he didn't want to think that this stuff was still happening on his shift. And um, he couldn't do anything if he didn't know. And that was part of the realization for me is that, you know, if I keep it locked up, how can I expect there to be change when nobody yeah. knows what's going on? Like I've just really bottled it up, bottled it up all this year, all these years. So that was probably one of the most real moment, moments I'd had at that point yeah. was having this conversation with him and talking for about two, two hours, not only about stuff that I'd been through and what has kind of caused the diagnosis, but he opened up too. And we had this really great conversation that um, all of a sudden I wasn't carrying the burden. I was sharing it. And I, I left that meeting feeling really, really supported. And well, I got a signature. Firefighter to firefighter. Kind exactly. Of thing, yeah. Real. Very, very real. Yeah. Without all the you know, bravado or anything. Yeah. Would you say he was sort of the, the, the linchpin for you then? Were you just sort of... Definitely. That, that moment for sure. Yeah. So you you ended up talking to the captain. Yeah. Um, and deciding at that time you needed some counseling. Well, I, I, it was, it was my, one of my chiefs at the time. And then I realized that I thought, okay, I've got the WSIB claim. I've got his support now. So I've got support for my, my job. Um, I've got therapy. I'm, you know, I, I should feel better, but I was feeling worse. And I, I equate that to maybe because I was starting to finally process everything that has happened to me over the past few years, not only trying to deal with the traumas that we go to as firefighters, right? We see a lot of things that not necessarily everybody sees, but then trying to also deal with that in an environment that I don't always feel safe or secure in. It was really starting to, to challenge me and get to me. So that's when I thought, okay, I'm feeling worse. One one hour a week is not going to cut it. I need something. And that's when I reached out to Project Trauma Support. Project Trauma Support. I think uh, we both hold a fairly yes. high opinion of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the interest of full disclosure, as I, uh, I, uh, I know a number of uh, men who uh, and a woman as well <laughs> um, who have gone to Project Trauma Support. And at least one of them said, they saved my life. Yeah. Well, two of them have said that. And uh, knowing knowing the, the, the dedicated staff that work there, um, if, if, if you're out there listening to this and you need some help, I would contact Project Support Trauma and see if they can help you out or get you to a place that will help you out. Yeah. Um, they're, they're simply amazing people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so stealing your thunder there for a minute, yeah. what, what, what is your thoughts uh, with them? I would say the exact same thing that uh, they definitely part of saving my life. Um, there was actually a moment that I re- I lived my potential suicide, and that changed my life forever. That uh, I saw the impact it would have on my family. I kind of li- stepped out what of do you it. Mean, lived your just in one of the activities. I actually saw myself completing, and the impact it had on my family and friends. And I, you know, that's part of the beauty of this program is that if you've been through it, you don't share all the secrets. But um, it really, it took me on a journey that uh, I left that and there was no chance that I was ever going to do that. So I had to get better and I had to, I had to um, find out how to change perspective and how to move forward. Um, So yes, I think part of the beauty of that program was with, I was with nine other women who had, uh, were police, military, um, EMS, uh, communicators, dispatch. Um, I was the only fire. And even though we have different stories, we all had very, very similar stories. And through there, we could talk about 
uh, therapy. We could talk about medications. We could talk about um, how it was difficult to fit in and the lack of inclusion. And um, yeah, even talk about suicide quite openly that all of a sudden it really for the first time normalized things. Yep. And, and I didn't feel so alone. Did you, did you look at su- suicide as a cowardice in the past? Uh, oh, very much so. Yeah. And I, as I said, I was very angered and I, it's very selfish. It's like the most selfish thing you could do until I was there myself. And even teaching it, what I learned was I would teach it. I could teach it from a textbook. This is what you're supposed to say. This is how they're supposed to feel. These are the signs. And it, it didn't click with me because I wasn't there myself until yeah. I was there yeah. myself. And then now I see it so differently and I try to have compassion um, and lack less judgment. I said that first time I had so much judgment and now I have more compassion for people and, and don't put them to the side. Like yeah. let's, let's have a conversation. Yeah. So your, your depression was very severe. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to kill yourself. Um, oh. <laughs> let's be blunt about that. Eh? Yeah. You probably do it in your, your, uh, in your teaching is not to beat around. the bush. Exactly. You can't with suicide. You yeah. really can't. You, you don't, are you planning on harming yourself? Exactly. No, I'm planning on fucking killing myself. Exactly. You know, there's, there's a difference, difference. there. Yeah. So you, you do need to be blunt. You don't yeah. want to give people that, that wiggle room. Because, yeah, some people will tell you they're going to commit suicide. Mm-hmm. But others are going to say no, look you right in the eye and say no. Yeah. And then they're off. Um, so you you made plans, but you you made no serious attempt at uh, no. killing yourself. No, and I... I equate that to PTS at the time, and that was kind of the the caveat for me, the moment, the stop clock, I guess, if you will, that really changed it. And, and um, part of that, too, was um, most people that go there, a lot of people, I'd say, what, over 600 people? There's yeah. a few that it, it um, didn't, didn't help, but you also have to be in a, a position where you really want to get better. Yeah. And I remember Manuela said at one point, um, you know, you're all victims, Bad stuff has happened to all of you. I'm not. I'm not saying it's not, but how is that working out for you? And for me, that put the power back in my hands because yeah. it's not working out for me. Being a victim is not working out for me. So what can I do to make sure that I'm not a victim? And part of that is changing perspective. And as soon as you start focusing on the really great people that are there, I couldn't focus on the great people. I was yeah. too focused on tell me, tell me more about what bad I'm doing, about the things I'm doing wrong, about how I don't belong. And I was not listening to the good things. And I remember going through another activity where we could leave part of our our job behind, like a little trinkets and stuff. And people have retired from this, this this action. And for me, I brought something, but I couldn't leave it there that day because I still realized that I don't want to leave my job, even though for a while I've wanted to leave my job because it just didn't seem worth it. I wasn't ready to leave. I still had things to do. And part of that was being there, feeling comfortable with my story-ish. I'd say I'm still kind of comfortable-ish with my story. This is pretty hard today. Um, But then I decided I'm going to go and I'm going to talk to my crew. And that was my first step. Um, And that was the first time I've I've ever admitted to anybody outside of the sanctuary of Project Trauma Support. I hadn't even really had a decent conversation with anybody in my family. And I told my crew. And uh, I think I blindsided them a bit. They didn't expect that because they knew Cheryl, the strong, the brave, the... You know, everything I wanted everybody to believe, the leader, and they didn't see me um, for me. And at that point, we sat that day after I shared my story, right down to my plan for suicide. And we just talked. We talked. And if people didn't want to share, they were actively listening. We were talking about mental health. We were talking about, you know, everybody's experiences. And then um, 
for the days and weeks after is getting phone calls from people um, checking in, but not only checking in, wanting to also share, share some of their story. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, it was this light bulb that people want to share. They just need that safe place to be able to share right. it, right? Yeah. And who else to share it with Who better than someone that's lived that? Not Cheryl, the instructor or the peer support team member that has learned from a book, from Cheryl, the, the firefighter, your coworker that has lived experience and is not going to have post-judgment. And one thing I have learned over the years, especially through my experience, is I've always want, I've always been a fixer. I want to fix people. I want to help people. What can I say to make it better? Yeah. And I've, just, I've, I've realized that's not what it is, just listening. Let them work through some things, be there just to, to shoulder some of that burden. Because as soon as I could unburden myself with the silence of holding on to that and having to carry it myself, um, I'm still, I still carry guilt and shame. Like even today, explaining my story and the thought that, you know, yeah, you're, you're thinking of killing yourself. I still carry so much guilt and shame for that. But my hopes is that if someone else is listening that is thinking the same thing, um, just offer, um, a, a word of hope that there, there are people out there that have these experiences that are willing to listen. And, um, if you can find someone to just un burden some of that it really does it really does help bloody hell Cheryl you're stealing my uh, you should be doing both sides of this conversation. <laughs> you're too kind <laughs> um yeah that, that was going to be my next question oh. what, what do you say to somebody who is considering suicide and uh I still don't know and I don't know that you can say anything except allowing yourself to be there and allow that conversation to happen being present and that's what I found is that people will come in sometimes just to check on me how are you doing it's good to have you back I mean when I first got back I was getting hugs and people was like it's great to have you back and and for me um that that was that was huge that was the, that was the time I needed that because I was focusing on the positive stuff but then that turned into people coming in and saying you know a little bit about their story and how they're feeling and just being there for that and knowing that I've kind of shared my story but now I can just listen because half of it it's not it's not telling someone anything about suicide I can't yeah. tell them I've had yeah. my own experience yeah. but I can't tell them how they're feeling or what they're going through because we all have different experience different life and experience say, and saying something as inane as it's going to get better it's well, how I don't know do you know that I yeah. don't know I yeah. didn't even know for myself that it was going to get better yeah. and I do know that it was a hell of a lot of work and you really have to want to do the work and I'm still doing the work today but it's something that I'm dedicated to um and I've really, you know, mind, body, soul, physically getting stronger, mentally and emotionally getting stronger, um, doing all the things that are uh, healthier for me, f- changing perspective, focusing on positive things. But I think when someone, you have determined that someone is suicidal, someone is considering harming themselves, first of all, are you safe? Um, I've had this conversation recently with a few people. Are you safe? And if they say, yes, I'm safe, okay, do you want to share? And if not, I will just sit in silence so you know that I am here. Yep. But at least open that door and keep that door open for them in case they do just want to um, open up. Yeah. I mean, and again, I don't know if I mentioned this to you earlier, but um, I've had people phone in and say, I listened to that show. It helped. And he went and got helped or they went and got helped. So, yeah, it's not the book that I want to uh, write, but (laughs) it's doing some good. 
So it's I, doing good because you're allowing people to share their story. And that's that's what we're missing. I think there's so much talk about stigma, but I think we are making strides in stigma. You talk about Bell Let's Talk Day. I know in the fire service, we have full mental health programs, road to mental readiness. Every year we're doing more mental health things. People are more open to it. Yep. People are sharing. Yep. We have people coming back with mental health injury that are willing to share their story, are willing to put their, their face on a video that we're learning from as well. And that's having huge impact. So well, allowing people to tell the story. The stigma. You know, it's, it is. It's, and it makes people want to open up. Well, maybe not want to open up, but no. feel that they can share. And I think one of the big things is the stigma is starting to be broken, but it's that self-stigma. It's yeah. the stigma that people have inside that, what are they going to think of me? Can I still do my job? And you know, I'm here to tell you, I was at the darkest of places and I'm back. I was off for a few months and came back stronger than I've ever been. And my perspective has changed. And for that, I do feel that I'm a better firefighter in the end, like I, or I will be because um, I now focus on my allies. I'm not so focused on the people. There are always going to people. People don't, don't always, they're not always going to like you, but I have more allies than I realized. Um, some really great mentors in my life and I'm choosing to focus on them now versus yeah. the things that brought me down. And that makes good sense. Yeah. I mean, it, it's kind of a mindfulness thing you're doing, I guess. Exactly. You know, you're, you're, you're seeing what's, what's going on with you, mm-hmm. how to deal with it, how to move forward. Realize there's an issue. Let's deal with the issue. Don't keep pushing it back, pushing it back. Exactly. So, yeah, good on you. And I, and I, and I do agree completely with uh, what you would tell somebody with suicide. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but you sit with them and, and let them know you're there for them. Yeah. And uh, hopefully that's enough. Yeah. Because um, one of my one of my wife's greatest fears is odd because she takes the dogs for walks, and every time she goes in the forest, she expects to see somebody hanging there, and <laughs> and it's almost irrational. But in this area, uh, large military population, yeah, a uh, lot of PTSD, a lot of depression, uh, a lot of guys that know how to use weapons. Mm-hmm. Or hang themselves or whatever. It's 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 not unreasonable. No. So I, I if I can interject here, and, and if you would agree with this or not agree with this, <laughs> I think you'll agree. <laughs> um, not just because you have great cake here. Um, <laughs> I, I I think reaching out to people frequently. Yeah. Phoning them up, mm-hmm. just shooting the shit. How you doing? Um, mm-hmm. If if they were suicidal in the past, work that into the conversation. Yeah. Um, but do reach out and touch, reach out and touch somebody. Yeah. Um, uh, and any more than that, you really can't do. I mean, you can, you've, you might teach uh, contracting uh, in your first aid course or mental, uh, a mental resiliency course. Like uh, you make a contract with somebody. Mm-hmm. They promise not to kill themselves for, you know, so many hours or a yeah. day or something. Um, yeah, you can contract. But again, Buddy's planning on killing himself. Yeah. He'll lie to you. Exactly. But you've done the effort. You've made your, you've taken your steps. You've tried your best. Yeah. And you've gotten him help if you can. So, yeah, I agree with you. And that's a hard part, too, is I know anybody that's in emergency services or military, uh, we don't go into our jobs thinking, well, I'm going to do okay today. Yeah. You go into your job, your fire, whatever, thinking, I'm going to save lives. That's yeah. why I'm here. So, yeah. even the ones you don't, especially your own, um, you're like, your, your coworkers your or anything like your team, yeah. right? Um, it's hard not to carry that guilt. What could I have done better? What could I have done differently? If I had have done this, would it have a diff- different outcome? So I think that's something that we all work on. Um, you know, compassion 
fatigue is real as well. And I know I, I know I suffer from that because you just, you carry that guilt, you carry that, um, that what if with you and it's trying to release that and realize that you, you did what you could do and you were there. Um, and in the end it's their story and they're going to, they're going to be successful or not. Um, and all you can do is hope that by sharing your story, by being there when they're needed, um, that, that you've made a difference. Yeah. And I think you have, you're definitely making a difference. Um, more women are coming in, uh, more yeah. women are saying, if she can go through that shit and things are improving, I can yeah. step up and do it now. And just on note on that, um, I think at the beginning, as I was saying that when there was one other woman in my drill class, we didn't really re- relate to each other. I think it I was, was kind of that, that unwritten yeah. rule that we kind of push each other away and, and be one of the guys. And yeah. at the very beginning, um, I think it was I was four months in before the one of the only other women on called and said, hey, how's it going? And I almost broke down in tears because I realized, oh my goodness, another alone. woman, I'm not alone. Yeah. I felt so isolated and I really wasn't ready for that. I knew I, I wanted the job, but I wasn't ready for how isolated I was going to feel. Yeah. Yet I still seemed to push them away. It was like this weird, not a competition, but this, how can I fit in and be one of the guys and prove that I belong yeah. and then want to hang out with these women. So over the years, that's really changed. And Fire Service in Ontario has definitely helped that. And there's still some women that um, don't want any part of it. And a few women have been told that, you know, if you relate to the other women and join stuff like this, um, it's going to ruin your career. And a few of them have pushed away. But I think the important part of this as well is as a female in the fire service, it's um, it's empowering to hold each other up yeah. and really help each other. So I make it a point of any new recruits that are coming in to give them my number, reach out any time, yeah. check in frequently, frequently, frequently with them. Any young women that want to join the fire service, they have my number. Contact me. I will mentor you. I will ask any answer any questions. Um, we had a woman not too long ago come in and we set up a little mock CPAT, CPAT test in yeah. the station so she could just try it and see where her growth needs to be. So it's all about holding each other up. And um, as women, we also don't, don't want anybody in the fire service that can't do the job either. That is not there for the right reasons. And any of the women that are on right now that I work with are there for the right reasons and they're the right mindset and they just want to do a really good job and they love firefighting. So how can we make sure that we can raise the numbers and hold each other up? Because there's so much empowerment in holding each other up. And that's part of the uh, the mandate of Fire Service Women Ontario is encourage, empower, and educate women in the fire service. And how, how long has this organization been going now? Uh, about 12 years. 12 years? Yeah. And uh, are they making inroads as well in, in making change at the higher levels? Very much so. There's a new toolkit in the making, which is helping chiefs um, understand uh, recruitment a bit better and how do you how do you recruit women and what are the best ways or the leading the leading practices right now um we have a symposium that we run every year but just to interrupt you are yep. they going to be hiring more women if they're still dinosaurs if you're just now taking down sunshine girl posters for christ's sake and that ha- they're two completely different things so in the recruitment that's that's strictly for each um place in ontario yep. or any anywhere like i couldn't just go okay i feel like going to toronto at this time yeah I, I have to stay with Ottawa. I have to outright quit and then go through the process. And you have to do an aptitude test, a psychological test, and then um, a f- the, the CPAT and various physical testing, and then the interview process. Once you get on the list, you're a number, and then you go through the interviews with whatever department you want to go through. So it's not it's not just about being 
a minority, a woman, it's not a checkbox. It, it just can't be a checkbox. And most of the classes are still filled with white males. And that's just the way it is. This last class, I think, had three women in it, which is really, really exciting. So those are big numbers. But when you still look at 24 being in the class, relatively small. So it's yeah. not about hiring more women. They're not filling classes, just yeah. all female women, all female yeah. classes. Because we also want to make sure the right people are getting on the job as yeah. well. Yeah, you don't want just a, some, no. a fill in there. Testing is is gender neutral. It's you're there. It's you you're a number. Make, make this score. You got this score. If you don't, you're exactly. So uh, I think we pretty much covered this, but we'll we'll touch base on it one more time. What caused PTSD is 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 um, not as important as as how you treat it, how it gets recognized, and how to get hope. What caused your PTSD is less important than than it being recognized and properly treated uh, with you, and you got all the help you uh, you think you needed, or is there more um, up the road, more tools you need in your toolbox? What tools do you use? Um, I like I do like the term post traumatic growth. So um, one thing I try not to live is under the the. Um, label PTSD, right? It's something I, I had, I was diagnosed with it. And since then, since the work I've done this past year, um, I really speak to the post-traumatic growth. And I know every time I tell my story, my narrative changes where it's more positive and focused on the resilience piece of being able to get past um, past depression, past anxiety, and, and everything that came with that. Um, what was the other... What is the other part of that? Yeah. Um, getting any help you needed. Um, what tools do you use? Yeah. Um, meditation definitely really helps. I know yeah. um, my physical training, I kind of lost that for a long time. And then uh, I think when I was at my lowest, I decided, oh, I got to do something because it's not like I can just stop working out for my job. I owe it to my, my crew, myself, my family that I stay Top what, about, what about black humor? Black humor? Yeah. It's the only thing that gets us through. It's really disturbing. <laughs> yes. And if you're not in the emergency services, you just don't get it. And we really have to watch ourselves because yeah. sometimes when you're dealing with the worst of the worst and you're just trying to make sense of what you're on call for and yeah. what you're seeing right now, sometimes it comes out then. And we also have to be very mindful of, of our people that we're working for because they're having their worst day. Yeah. It's, and it's not that we're making light of it. It has nothing to do with that. It's, it's our survival technique, right? Yep. You have to be a little bit light about it or it, or it just starts to eat you away. Yeah, because a mass grave is a little yeah. overwhelming. So you yeah. have to think of someone. And, and as you're doing a debrief with your crew later on, mm. something like that, it affects you. Yeah. So somebody makes a crack and somebody smiles. Yeah. And that's and th- how you get through it. And I do think that's even changing as well because there is a time and a place for that, but there's also some some things that I've found that it wasn't a time for a joke because it really hit home. Yeah. So you're at a certain call, maybe the, the child reminded you of your own yeah. child or your own grandmother or something, and you're really, really struggling with that. And that time, a joke doesn't help. So I think one of the things that does help, there is a time and a place for that, yeah. but also the conversations we're having and it's... Um, Everybody's doing a really, really good job. I know with Ottawa Fire right now, um, based on our training and what we've gone through, that when we get back from a particularly disturbing call, uh, it could be like a level one or a level two based on the fact that they're just going to have a little um, 
post-incident talk at the table. And sometimes those are the most amazing talks where you just say, is everybody okay? Maybe started by the captain. The captain says, listen, my door's open. If you're, if you're feeling like talking, if this is bothering you, come and see me. And it's also important to let everybody know that it's okay to not feel bad either. I think people are looking, well, I, that didn't, that call didn't affect me, but it seems to affect everybody else. So inadvertently people are thinking maybe, maybe I'm cold. Maybe, maybe I should be more affected by this, but they're not. So having those conversations and let people speaking freely because, um, who better to have that conversation with than your own crew that was experiencing that, right? If a little bit more of a serious, um, something happens, we can activate our peer support team where we'll go to the station and we'll just have a conversation and know that, let them know that we're here, let them know what they can expect, you know, various things from acute stress and, um, everything else that may happen. So. All right. That's a good place to end that part two ending part three in a moment.